and praise you that we are learning of you, that we are having things confirmed to us. And Father, I thank you for the opportunity to give back to you a small portion of all that you give to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for blessing each person and individual and family that is given into this offering. Bless it back to them, Lord. Prosper them, meet their needs out of your abundance. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. It's funny, you know, sometimes when I'm teaching on a topic, then for the next several weeks, I'll just be randomly reading something else and it'll just keep popping back up, the same things over and over. It's like sometimes God is on a, uh, a series of getting a point across to the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Okay, so we have a few announcements. Just a reminder, prayer is Tuesday morning, 6 to 7 a.m. here at the church and 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. on Wednesdays. Men's ministry is next Monday, the 28th, not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow at 7 p.m. And women's ministry, ladies, this month, uh, Tuesday, the 29th, here at the church at 6.30. Um, giving records, I keep forgetting to announce that, but they're at the back. Um, if you haven't picked yours up, please do. Anything that's still on the table after next week, we'll mail. But uh, look around and, and get those. Uh, I think most people have picked up their Christmas DVDs, but if you haven't, see Darlene. She's in the back in the sound booth. Raise your hand, Darlene. So um, she has them and uh, can get them to you if you haven't gotten yours. And then next Sunday, hopefully most of you got the postcard already uh, telling you that next week is the potluck, and it's going to be some worship time, but it's also going to be some sharing time for you. So uh, what is God having you stand on in 2013? So it'll be a good time for fellowship, and uh, people always enjoy getting to eat good food with each other and a time for you to share with each other so that you can better uh, pray for one another and, uh, under, and just know what's going on in each other's lives. So pray about what God would have you share and bring a main dish about the size that would feed your family and one other dish. It could be bread, it could be salad, it could be a side dish. That way there should be enough for everybody. We're going to order a cake, so there'll be plenty of dessert, and uh, we'll provide the drinks. So that'll be good. Um, and I was just praying for the Wilmers family yesterday, and here they are. Hallelujah. Thank you. Um, okay, so that's all the announcements. Kids, you want to go downstairs? Yeah. They thin your ranks tremendously when they go downstairs. Hallelujah. All right, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for time that we've had to worship you in song, and now we thank you for time we have to worship you in your word. Father, I pray that your word would go forth with power and anointing, that it would not return void, but accomplish all that you desire it to you would touch every heart and life, encourage every single person in this building today, upstairs and downstairs. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there was a blonde, a brunette, and a redhead.
You heard this one? Well, you can, you can grade me on how I do delivering it then, okay? And they came across this mirror, and on the mirror was a note. And the note said, if you tell the truth, you'll get a million dollars. But if you tell a lie, you'll disappear forever. So the brunette, she's pretty sure of herself. So she steps up to the mirror and she says, I think I'm the prettiest girl in school. Poof, she disappears. The redhead thinks. So she steps up and she says, I know I can do this. And she said, I think I'm the smartest girl in the whole school. Poof, she disappears. Well, the blonde, she's a little nervous, but a million bucks. So she steps up and she says, I think, poof, she disappears. It's one of those that dawns on you slowly. Maybe some of you have blonde roots. So what do you see when you look in the mirror? Do you see versions of names you've been called in your life? Do you see limited abilities? Do you see all your flaws? Most of us are not as confident as the brunette and the redhead, are we? What if this year you could see yourself as God sees you more fully? Would that be a game changer for you. I want us to look at a few people in the Bible whose names were changed by God. The first one we're going to look at is Abram in Genesis 17, 1 through 5. When Abram was 90, uh, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And Abraham, Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Now, Abram means high father. So his name was changed to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Now, generally, we still refer to him as father of many nations because of verse 5, right? So that doesn't seem like a massive shift, does it? High father, father of multitudes, still it's father. Unless you remember his story. Remember that he and his wife didn't have any children. And uh, several years earlier, many years earlier, God had told him that his descendants would be like the stars in the sky. Well, at the point he told him that, Abraham didn't have any children. And so nothing happened for a while. The years went by. And so Sarai, his wife, decided she would help God. Sometimes we do that, right? We decide to help God. And so she gave him her maidservant, Hagar. And uh, Hagar bore Abram a son, and they named him Ishmael. So at the age of 86, he finally becomes a father. But this is not the child that God had promised. Um, but when he's 99, then God is reminding him once again that he's going to be father of many nations, and it's at this point that God changes his name. It's not funny. Normally we would think if we're going to have a name change, it would happen much earlier in our lives, right? Most of us, if we lived to, get to be 99, now they did live longer back then, we might think, wow, my life's just about over. What difference does it make now, right? But God chose that time to change his name. And God's always right on time. 
But the birth of Isaac didn't happen until he was 100 years old. So God changed his name for that year. Do you think he saw himself differently as everybody called him Abraham instead of Abram? When God speaks to you and tells you something new in your life that's coming, is there a lasting perspective shift? Do you begin to see yourself differently? If you looked in the mirror, would you begin to see yourself as God sees you, as God just called you, as God just told you? Now Sarai was Abram's wife. In Genesis 17, 15 through 16, God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Now Sarai, you know, she knew this promise was coming. It didn't come when she thought it was going to. Now she's 90 years old. She certainly isn't really fully expecting it to come now, right? But God is reminding her. Sarai means dominated. And from the dictionary, that means just what you think, to exercise control over, to govern, to tower above, to loom over, to be dominant. But he changes her name to Sarah, which means noble, lady, princess, queen. And she's described as the mother of princes usually, right? Because of uh, verse 16. Um, God changed their names as a symbol and as a reminder of his covenant with them, of his promise to them. God had promised it many years previously, but it took many years to come to pass. Keep standing on any promises God has told you are yours. Keep claiming them, keep believing them, keep seeing yourself in regard and in light of them. Jacob, Genesis 32, 24 through 28. This is out of the King James Version. And Jacob was left alone. So Isaac has, has two children, right? Okay, a covenant was made with Isaac, and he has two children, Esau and Jacob. They're twins. And when they're born, Esau's born first, and Jacob is holding on to his heel as he's born. Right? He's right behind. And now they're grown. Jacob has wives and children of his own. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he had... Uh, prevailed not against him. He touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as, as a prince has, hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Now, the word power in verse 28 there in the Hebrew means to prevail, but it also means have power as a prince. So listen how it would read. So as a prince, you have the power of a prince with God and with men. Well, that's favor, right? You think princes walk in favor in their land? Yeah, I think so. And that's not only having the title, but that's having the power behind it, right? You might call yourself anything you want, but does your life back it up? Is there power behind that, right? Um, so God blessed Jacob with the favor and the power and changed his name to mark that time, that passage 
in his life. He went from Jacob, which means heel catcher, okay, which is exactly what he was, but it also means supplanter. And the dictionary's definition of supplanter is to take the place of, to displace, to take the place of someone by scheming or treachery. And if you know the story of Jacob, that's exactly what he did. He tricked his brother into giving up his birthright, and then he deceived his father to get the blessing of the firstborn, right? But at this point in his life, he's already fled to another land. He's, he's married. He's had multiple children. He's on his, become a wealthy man. He's on his way back. He's, he wants to come home. But he's terrified at his reception because he figures that you know, Esau, his brother, wants his head on a stick. <laughs> and so he sends all the family ahead of him. He sends multiple huge gifts ahead of him to kind of ease the way because he, he is concerned as to how he's going to be received by Esau. So God changes his name from deceiver, supplanter, to Israel, which means he will rule as God. Now, to me, that is God recognizing that he's come from a place where he would be willing to deceive to get what he wanted to a place where he's willing to walk and live as God would have him live. That's a pretty big change, right? We all know people who are willing to do whatever it takes to get what they want, no matter who they hurt, no matter how dishonest it is, right? Think of that person transformed to where they're willing to be an obedient servant of the Most High God, willing to humble themselves. And that's exactly what he was doing as he sent gifts and messages to his brother, paving the way before him. He was humbling himself before Esau. And so that name change marked that change in his heart, that change in his life. He was also one who was willing to wrestle all night with an angel of the Lord. Some say it was God, some say it was an angel of the Lord. He was willing to wrestle all night just to get blessed. That's quite perseverance, isn't it? Sometimes when things get difficult, we just back off, right? We let go. Are you willing to actively pursue God to get your blessing, to get your inheritance, to understand your purpose and the call of God upon your life? Peter. John 1.42, Andrew, Peter's brother, brings him to Jesus and he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. I think it's really interesting that the first time he meets Simon, he changes his name. Hi, how are you, Simon? Your name's going to be Peter. Now, many of us might get offended by that, right? What's wrong with me? Why am I not good enough the way I am? Who are you that you rename people, right? Names were big things in the Hebrew culture. So Simon means hearing, from what I can detect from some of my study manuals. But his new name, Peter, means rock. So is that an improvement? Hearing to rock. Hmm. Why rock? In Matthew 16, 13 through 18, is quite a bit later in time. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? 
And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You know, for years I saw that verse, and I think I've shared this before. I, I, I saw that when um, hell came against the church, our gates would hold, and we would prevail. They wouldn't cave in. But I want you to see, and I've studied this out, and so I thought this was uh, worded well. It's from padfield.com concerning Caesarea Philippi in Jesus' day. It says the population was not Jewish, so Jesus could teach the twelve in peace. He'd kind of gone there to get away from everybody and have a little bit of a retreat. <laughs> okay? Um, here on a road outside of the city, Jesus asked one of the most profound questions that could ever be posed. Who do men say that I am? It's interesting to see where Jesus chose to ask this question. For there are few areas in all the world with more religious associations than Caesarea Philippi. A cave near Caesarea Philippi is said to be the birthplace of the Greek god Pan, the god of nature, fields, forests, mountains, flocks, and shepherds. And there was a huge temple to him there where they practiced all kinds of horrendous pagan worship. In that temple and at the mouth of that temple, Jesus was standing on a road in an area littered with the temples of the Syrian gods. It was a place where many considered the Greek gods looked down upon. Uh, it was a place where the most important river in Judaism sprang to life. And guess where that river had its head? Inside the mouth of the cave of Pan. That was its headwaters. <laughs> and it came from that. So who do you think they gave credit for that wonderful river? Okay, so you need to know that too. A place where, the, where white marble splendor of the home of Caesar worship dominated the landscape. So there's Roman worship, there's Greek worship, there's Syrian worship. There's a lot of different things going on, and they're all pagan, right, in this area. And here of all places, he stands and asks men who they believe him to be. Peter boldly answers that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Someone suggested that it is as if Jesus deliberately set himself against the background of the world's religions in all their splendor and glory and demanded to be compared with them. Was Jesus talking about the rock? Was Jesus talking about the rock he was standing on? Some believe he was standing. If they, I've seen pictures of the, the cave and the entrance to the temple, what's left of it, to Pan, and it's solid rock. It's just big, huge sheets of solid rock. Was he, some believe that he was standing at the mouth of that cave when he said it. So was he talking about on this rock that he was standing on? Or was he talking about Cephas, Peter, the rock? There's no way to know for sure. You know, theologians have debated this issue. But I think it was both. Otherwise, why change his name? I believe Jesus wanted Simon to see himself as Peter, that rock-solid foundation on which he would build something bigger than Simon could ever have imagined. 
I believe he wanted all of his disciples to see that he would build his church not just within the borders of, of Jewish populations, but in the midst of enemy-occupied territories too, because Jesus took them away, but they were in heathen, pagan territory. Do you remember? The Jews didn't populate that area. Christ wasn't worshipped or celebrated. God wasn't worshipped or celebrated in that region. Their new names, Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, Jacob to Israel, Simon to Peter. They signified a new level of their relationship with God. And throughout your life, whenever your name is called, it repeats who you are. That's why the Jews consider naming a child so important because they know that we're going to speak that over them every time you call their name. Now, I knew this before, but I looked it up again just to see if there was anything else. My name means to conquer or victory. Now, that's not bad as things go. It's something to be said over you over and over and over again in your lifetime. If Jesus was standing before you right now, would he give you a new name? Would you want one? We don't have to have a new name to go forward in God. Jesus didn't rename the rest of the disciples. Why Peter? I'm not sure. But whether you want a new name or not, do you see yourself as God sees you? Is there a way for you to mark changes in your life, in your attitudes, in your direction, and in your relationship with God that will remind you of who you are and whose you are? See, sometimes we hit certain places in our life where we do take a jump and go forward in him, right? Where he does speak something that should be transforming to us. How are we going to remember those things? The Jews were constantly told to erect monuments and altars when things like that happened in their lives. And they were not small. When the Bible talks about piling a few rocks, I always thought it was just a small little bunch of rocks. I think sometimes it might have been. But I've also seen pictures of standing stones in the Holy Land. You can see them from miles away. They're humongous. They'd probably be taller than the ceiling, and they're massive. It would have taken many people to put them upright, and they were set there so that even if you weren't passing right next to them, when you were passing with your children, your grandchildren, you'd say, see those stones way off in the distance there? You know why they're there? And they would tell a story of God's faithfulness. They would remind, they would tell again what God had done. What are you erecting in your life that will help you remember when you see it? Oh, yeah, there's been this change. God did something in my life. If a name change is a game changer for you, then ask God what he would call you. It doesn't mean you go officially change your name at the court. It just means you have another name. How many of you have a nickname? Anybody? I always wanted a cool nickname when I was a kid. I didn't get one. I had a lousy one, but I never got a good one. But I wanted a cool one, like some of my friends. What would be God's nickname for you? Then shout that special name each and every time you feel like someone knocks you down verbally or you feel discouraged, right? Stop and, you know, remind yourself how God sees you. What does God say about you? 
recognize that from the moment you accept Jesus as Lord of your life, God calls you his child. He sees you as forgiven. What does he say about you? Here's just a few things God says about you. Proverbs 28.1, he says, I am that we are bold as a lion. The wicked man flees, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Matthew 5.13, he calls us the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again, Jesus asked. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. So we want to remain salty. Remember, there's still some salt shakers back there when we taught on being salty. If you need one, get one. John 1.12, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You're a child of God. John 10.28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. You're a protected child. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're an empowered witness for Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become wisdom for us, has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness holiness and redemption. I'm wise, I'm righteous, I'm made holy, and I'm redeemed. It's a pretty good place to be. 2 Corinthians 3.6 He has made us a competent, competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Say this with me. I am a competent minister. See, not just, sometimes people think the only people that are ministers are whoever's in the pulpit, but that's not true. Minister just means servant, right? So I'm a competent servant, and so are you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. I'm a new creature in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We're Christ's ambassadors. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're citizens of heaven. Even while we walk this earth, we're citizens of heaven. Right? If we went to Europe, we'd be in Europe, but we'd be American citizens, right? So we walk this earth, but we're citizens of heaven. Because this life is temporary. That's our true home. Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I'm an overcomer. I'm capable, talented, able to do anything understand anything that God has for me that he puts before me. Sometimes we don't think that's true, right? Sometimes, especially when he asks us to do something big or difficult, we get pretty overwhelmed. But I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Not because of who we are, 
but because of who he is. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. God supplies all our needs. That's not some of your needs, that's all of your needs. That means you have what you need to do what he has asked of you. Right? Sometimes God has asked you to do things and I think, wow, God, you know how much money that's going to take to do that? <laughs> and then he reminds me, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He knows he owns all the gold and all the silver. All of the earth is his. In fact, it's his footstool. Right? He has more than enough. So you are equipped materially, physically, mentally, and spiritually to do what he's asked of you. Colossians 2.10. This is good. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and, par and power. There in the Greek it means crammed, leveled up, furnished. It's like topped off, couldn't be more full. Okay? That's your complete. That means he didn't make a mistake when he made you. He didn't leave anything out. And he can't put any more in. Because you're full. You're complete. Right? That's a good place to be. All of these things you're only, you only are in him, not in yourself. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. That's the word dunamis. And it means miracle working power. And of love. There the word is agape, which is the God kind of love. Unconditional love. And, a sound, and of a sound mind, which is discipline and self-control. So can you imagine if you have miracle, God's miracle-working power in your life, God's love, and a sound and disciplined mind, can you imagine there's anything that you can't do? That's pretty well-equipped, isn't it? Miracle-working power and God's kind of love. Wow. That's, that's pretty powerful. These are just some of the things that God says about you. And as you read your Bible, there, there's going to be more things that jump off on the page that are true of all of and some that will be true just for you. Here's an example of that, one that God um, led me to after a time of prayer. I felt like he told me to look up this passage. I had no idea what it meant, what it was going to say. And when I saw it, it blew me away. Because he told me it was for me. I'll share it with you, but he told me it was for me. Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. So every time that I feel like I am inadequate to bring the word, I remember this verse and I pray it over myself. Thank you, Lord, that you have given me an instructed tongue to bring the right word to the weary. Every time I think I'm praying and I'm getting nothing and I'm willing to bring the word, but I have no idea what you want. Thank you, God, that you have given me an instructed tongue that I will have the right word for the weary. 
thank you, God. And it encourages me because I think, he gave me that verse. So if he gave me that verse, he must be going to give me the rest, right? So what verses or passages will God have for you that when you read them, you will just know that they're yours? You might share them with other people, but they're yours. God has given them to you, and you need to claim them over yourself whenever you're feeling discouraged or overwhelmed or like you just want to quit. I believe to be more, uh, that to more fully see the gifts that God has for us in our lives, the call that he has on each of our lives, that we have to better see ourselves as he sees us. What and who I am called to be is as or more important than what I'm called to do. They're both important. Do you see that? It's both what he wants. But our character, who we are, I think is more important to God than what we do. As I was praying over this for myself, I, I thought, okay, God, who am I? How do you see me? Let's get reminded. So this was my list that I felt he told me to be, that he's called me to be. He's called me to be a child of God. He's called me to be a leader. I've known that since I was 16. He's called me to be an example. He's called me to be a lover of God, a friend of God, a follower of Christ, a messenger of his word, a teacher, a shepherd. You're going to think this one's weird, but God showed me this quite a while back, several years ago, a generator. I don't know if I'm the generator or the battery cables. I know that God charges it, whatever it is. It's not me. But that I'm to give others a jump start. That's one of my purposes. That's one of my, the things that I am. He's called me to be a mother. He's called me to be obedient. He's called me to be a servant. And he's called me to be an encourager. Now this is the kind of list that God can add to, can't he? And he can bring new things, either that I haven't thought of or that are still to come. So as I continue to pray, maybe God's going to uh, enhance this list. So I want to challenge you to take the time this week to ask yourself and to ask God, who am I called to be? Make a list and put it somewhere where you can add to it that you don't lose it. How many of you journal? Some of you do, I know. Uh, that might be a good place. Or maybe start a journal or just a little notebook. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Maybe this is part of what God would have you share next Sunday as you talk about what are you standing on in 2013. Maybe you're going to stand on really getting how God sees you. Now, I've made um, a few copies of a prayer um, on some cardstock that I found years ago, and then I added to it. And um, it doesn't have scripture but it, with it, but there's, you, as you read it, you'll recognize there's a lot of scripture woven in it. And so uh, it's on the back table. If anybody wants one, then feel free to get one. I didn't want to make too many. Um, if we run out, then just let one of the ushers know, and I'll make some extra copies, okay? Because I have it on the computer, but help yourself if you want that. Um, it's something that when you're discouraged or when you're trying to see yourself as God sees you, you might start with this way. It might inspire you to write your own prayer, your own specific prayer, maybe with your own names. That's why Paul, your new name is important. 
says, you're fire. You are fire, man. Think of all the different ways God might say that to you. Just like sometimes we call our children by their name in different ways, right? And that fire is for you, but it's for others too. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So when you see that, see, when I, when I called him that name, he grinned. He's like, So if he comes to church next week wearing a red cape, <laughs> then we'll just know he's adopted that name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to be talking more about our inheritance and our call. But I wanted to start with who are we? How do we see ourselves? We've got to begin to accept and believe what God sees so that we can walk in the fullness of all that he has for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for each person here today. Lord, I thank you for the gifts and anointings that you've placed in each one of them. But even more important, who you've called them to be. Lord, for, for all of us who who love you and call Jesus our Lord and Savior. Many of those things are the same. But for each of us, there are some things that are uniquely ours, that we are uniquely called to, called to be. Lord, I pray that we would take the time to better understand who you call us to be, how you see us, and that we would be more emboldened to walk in that see us ourselves as you see us. Thank you, Father, that the Christian walk is a journey. It is a process. It is a lifetime of becoming more like you. Father, help us to begin to see ourselves like you see us, that we might even better become more like you. Thank you. Change names of any who need it, Lord. Give them God nickname that will encourage and strengthen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. Thank you for dying on the cross on our behalf. Thank you. As your word says, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we are saved. Thank you, Lord, that we can become children of God and walk in all the fullness of what that means. Jesus' name, amen. Invite the worship team back up.
Let's pray. Amen. child of God. I am anointed and appointed to be his competent minister, to take his message, to dip them in all the surrounding waters. Thank you, God, for equipping me to be your obedient Thank you all for coming. Have uh, some refreshments with us and uh